Once upon a time. In a land far away. I'm Katrina. And I'm Jeff. And welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat. While we retell you a thing. So this week we're going to be talking about Aesop's fables. We alluded a little bit to it in our introductory episode. And so we thought we would head over to Greece and tell you guys a little bit more about Aesop's fables, his life, and if these stories that were written almost 3,000 years ago are still relevant. I'm excited for this one because, again, it's one of those things... And I'll probably say this every single week, but it's one of those things that you think you know about. Like you hear, oh, Aesop's fables. Everyone has an idea of who Aesop is, what Aesop's fables were. But as with everything, when we start actually like delving into it, it's like, oh, wow, it's nothing like I actually thought that it was. Yeah. So I think a fun little game just right off the top is I want people who are listening to think, okay. Think of all the Aesop fables that you know off the top of your head right now. Okay, so Tortoise and the Hare classic. Is a really is a classic, really obvious one. And now after that, I am completely blanking. But I know there's a bunch. I mean, there's some that come to mind that I like know aren't actually Aesop's fables. Like I think of the Scorpion and the Frog. Like that's not an Aesop fable, but it seems like it totally could be. Man, I bet our audience did way better than I'm doing right now. You know what? I actually read this article <laughs> that said that like most people, if you ask them like name a- like all the Aesop fables that you know, the first one they name, Tortoise and the Hare. They're like, I got this. And then after that, it's like a huge drop off. Some people will remember off the top of their head, they'll remember the lion and the mouse. And that's the one where the lion is caught in a net and then a mouse saves him and he decides not to like do anything to the mouse. There's several ones where a small mouse saves like a lion. And then like, now I'm messing it up (laughs) because I think it's, there's, he doesn't eat a mouse one day and then the mouse comes back and does him a favor, either freeing him from a net or taking the thorn out of his paw. Yeah. I bet if you named a bunch like that one again, it's like, Oh yeah, that's right. If you started naming them off, you'd, you wouldn't be able to name off the top of your head very well. Like I wouldn't be able to, but people would probably recognize a bunch of the stories as you list them off. Yeah. So the town and country mouse. Do you know that one? I don't think so. So there's a town mouse and then there's a country mouse and the town mouse comes to visit his cousin, the country mouse. And when he gets there, he's like, wow, you live really basic. Like you're so like poor and you don't have any luxuries. And the country mouse is like, you're right. Your life sounds way better. And so he goes into town. And then when he gets to the town mouse's house, the town mouse is like, oh, look at on the table. There's like all this food, all this delicious stuff. And they're like, okay, let's go eat it. And they go to eat it. And there's like a cat that lives in the house that like tries to attack them. And the country mouse learns that like, okay, yeah, you might have all these like fine things, but you also live in this like constant danger. Um, so the North wind and the sun, I think people might recognize that when it's where the North wind is in a contest with the sun and they're trying to get a guy to take off his coat 
the north wind starts blowing and pushing on the guy to try to blow his coat off. And the, but the guy just bundles up and holds it even closer. And so then the sun comes out and starts beating down like warmth. And so the guy takes off his coat. And the moral of that is that like persuasion is better than force. Oh, I don't and think actually, I have heard that one. Oh, I'm like, I'm surprised that you haven't like heard these ones. Because uh, to me, I was like, oh, yeah. The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Yes, there's one. Yes, there's The one. Boy Who Cried Wolf. I've heard that one. I'm so, not a complete idiot now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the, they're also really common sayings that people might not know the story or have it attached to the story, but yeah. they've definitely heard the saying, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Yeah, that's for sure. Necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah, definitely heard that one. Look before you leap. Yes. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Oh, man. I say that all the time. <laughs> I did, I, but I really didn't know that that was from an Aesop fable. I know. A lot of the time while I was reading through Aesop's fables, I was like, I was surprised how many I knew already. Yeah. You would like come in contact with or whatever. Yeah. Because if somebody had said to me like, oh, do you know the fox and the grapes? I'd be like, absolutely not. I do not know that story. <laughs> But then when I was reading it, it was about how this fox is trying to get these grapes, but they're too high up and he can't reach them. And then he's like, well, they look rotten anyway. And then like walks off. And the moral of that story is that like often people who can't accomplish something instead of admitting their own like fault, mm -hmm. like start to like blame, blame other things yeah. or or say, oh, it wouldn't have been that great anyway. Right. And I've definitely heard that story before, but I def like I wouldn't have known that it was related to an Aesop fable like at all. Yeah, and it's really interesting too because it points out like how ingrained in our culture some of these things are, you know, Western culture that we don't yeah. even recognize. You can't even point to the source, but you're like, oh, that's like a really common saying, or that's something that people say all the time, which is just another way of saying it's a common saying. <laughs> 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 yeah. Everything's become really cliche. Some of these are like, oh, okay. So much so that we don't even know where it goes back to. So let's quickly talk about who's Aesop. Like, who is this guy who apparently has all of these stories, like, attributed to him? Yeah, it's like, and all I really can remember about Aesop is, like, he was Greek and he wrote or recorded all of these fables, period. Yeah. End of story, as far as I know. So enlighten yeah. me, please. So the story of Aesop is really muddled and confused just because all through history, people have either created their own version of who they think he is and then wrote it down as if it was fact. So he became like a folk history person like this legendary figure but a lot of scholars have agreed that the information that we kind of do know about him is that he was a slave that was born around 620 bce oh wow and the source for that knowledge is actually aristotle 
Oh, geez. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he was the, he's the source for that like tidbit of information. Right. That he was this um, slave that was born around 620 BCE. After that, all bets are off <laughs> in the story <laughs> of like his life. Um, but the story kind of goes that he was able to get free from being a slave by his wit and cleverness. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, makes sense considering like what he's famous for. Yeah. Like if wit he was in cleverness, if he was writing these stories, you know, it's like, we can get, it, was, it takes a lot of intelligence and wit to be able to identify these really common things and then be able to make a simple story to explain them. Yes, exactly. It takes a wise person. And yeah, so- to have your work last for 3000 years, like you gotta be <laughs> something pretty special. Yeah. Uh, so after he was freed, the story kind of goes, and there are lots of different stories, but he became kind of like a political advisor. That totally makes sense too. Like you can totally imagine like some guy standing at the, you know, the throne of a king and being like, well, there once was a chicken and this chicken had, you know, like going on and explaining something that like has this wise kernel of nugget at the end. And the king's like, ah, stroking his beard. Yes, that is, that sounds correct. Yes. And and a really important job of, like, somebody who's, like, a political advisor is to learn how to say things in ways that don't directly point blame because you Mm. don't want to be accused of saying something bad or negative about the political figure that you serve because they can easily just, like, have you killed. killed Or whatever. I mean, like, yeah, it's a bad place to be. Plus, it's kind of like, again, probably there's an Aesop fable about it, but the best way to persuade someone is not necessarily by telling them directly what they're supposed to do, especially someone in power who may want to feel like they're making the decision. You don't want to be like, this is what you should do. But you're like, here's this story that's telling what you should do that might spark the idea in yourself to think that you're having the own idea that this might be what you need to do. Exactly. So the indirectness, that makes a lot of sense that that would be a skill set that Aesop would be able to employ in uh, the political sphere. Yeah. So he became a kind of a traveling diplomat that would kind of represent the king. And if there were groups that were fighting with each other or warring with each other, just having any difficulty, he was known for being able to like tell these stories to kind of like smooth things out so that people could be like, Oh yeah, you're right. I see where like I'm, the lion in this story, or I can see how like I'm only hurting myself just like in this like other story. So then he was out on kind of a little diplomatic like mission. And the story that I read was that he had like a bunch of money from the main capital that was supposed to be dispersed to the leaders of these like smaller groups. Mm hmm. But when these smaller groups came, all of them were fighting and arguing about who should have the bigger portion, who should get the most money. And they were having this like big fight and he got sick of it and was like, since you're all so greedy, I'm going to send the money back to the capital because you guys don't deserve anything (laughs) because of like your behavior. (laughs) And as most people, when they're being taught a lesson that they don't like, they got angry and they killed him. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the moral of that story 
is that people do not like being told that they need to learn a lesson. <laughs> oh, man. That is so perfect. I know. I'm like, I feel like, so I'm like, even if that's not true, I feel like that's the perfect end to like his life because there have been so many times where like people have pulled out some heavy handed like lesson where they're like, and like now this should be like drilled into your head because I taught you this lesson and I'm like, I hate this person. Like, the lesson that I learned isn't that I need to change. It's that, like, I really dislike this person. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, that is so, totally yeah. perfect. So it's like, even if that's not true, like, even if, like, he, you know, he wasn't killed, maybe he lived a long, happy life. I still love that ending. I, <laughs> I think it's perfect. If he was a human being and he was murdered, that's wrong. And I don't condone this violence. <laughs> she she laughed. <laughs> so what gets complicated about like the stories being attributed to Aesop is that none of the stories were written down until like 320 BCE. So that's about 300 years after Aristotle wrote that he was like that Aesop was born. Right. So considering there was no written record of these stories for 300 years, they were just passed down orally. So there's this long oral tradition for right. these stories, which means we don't actually know how many of these stories could even have been possibly from Aristotle, not Aristotle, from Aesop. Because, yeah, because you think about, you know, as people are passing yeah. things down, it's so easy. Just like I thought that, you know, the the scorpion and the frog was an Aesop fable. Someone could be telling a bunch of Aesop's fable to their kids or whoever, and then they include that one as well. And they're like, oh, well, they told me all these other stories, and this was one of them, even though it's from a completely different origin or whatever. Like, I can yeah. totally see how that would easily happen. And historically, people have presented Aesop in like plays and such telling these like fables they presented him as an african man mm -hmm. and their reasoning for thinking that he was an african man is that a lot of the stories that he tells include african animals oh because like lions yeah like, those aren't naturally like in greece yeah the monkeys that he includes in his that are written down in his stories that are not from the area where he supposedly lived his whole life. Right. And so people had thought, oh, he must have been originally from Africa so that he was familiar with these uh, animals. But now as scholars are looking back at it, they're realizing that some of those stories with those animals, they predate Aesop. Right, so it's like stories that he had heard or whatever. Or or might have been exactly. falsely attributed to him or whatever. Yeah, there, and there's no knowing whether it's yeah. like whether he was remembering them from being told from his ancestors or whether he was hearing them from just other people on the street or whether they inspired him. Yeah, or they could have been added later. Like he never even exactly. told these some of these stories, but they were ones that somehow came into the culture and then were lumped together with his things because they didn't know who else to attribute them to. Yeah. Cause in some of the, some of the stories, even 
people would say, oh, he told this story to this group of people that were arguing and the lesson was very important for them to learn and that's why he told it to them. And then when scholars go back and look, they're like, he was dead for a hundred years before there was even that dispute in that area. So there's no way that Aesop himself taught them that story. And so even some of the stories that are attributed to him are like after his lifetime. The only way you can trace them as far back as you can trace them is after his life. Right. So it's, it's very complicated to know which ones were Aesop's and which ones were just attributed to him as a person, not to mention the language issue. So as stories, when they were written down in the first century, they were translated into Latin And then when they were translated into Latin in the 1400s, they were translated into German. And then after they were translated into German, they were translated into English. And it's actually one of the first books that was printed in English. Oh, like a collection of Aesop's fables. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. The Canterbury Tales, uh, was one of the first ones also to be translated and then printed in English. It was like uh, modern Eng- English. Yes. And it was an English man named William Caxton. He's actually really famous in England because he was this guy who was translating materials and then printing them in English. And he was like the first one to do that. Well, I've never heard of him. I know that's <laughs> he, he was like recently named like one of the like top 100 greatest like british like citizens or whatever and i was like that's crazy he's probably (laughs) on like one of their coins or something and we're like all right yeah and it's like basically you know he's kind of like a contemporary of gutenberg because gutenberg invented the printing press and then he was one of the first people to actually like get one and then be printing right so and something that we should know also about him is he is known for not being great at translating material. (laughs) (laughs) Which is relevant because... (laughs) Which is relevant because I'm currently reading Aesop's fables in English. Yeah. And the way that they got to me over that nearly 3,000 year period, you know, is this long history of like translations. Yeah, translation telephone where it's like changing every step of the way. (laughs) Exactly. And so when we say, oh, Aesop's fables, it's like, oh, was Aesop a real person? It's like, m- maybe. And it's like, <laughs> is this is this story actually told by this person that may or may not even be real? Maybe. Is the version we're reading actually accurate to the story that this person that may or may not be real actually told? It's just like, well, end the episode. There's not even any point in going on anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like mm, mm, well no but obviously these stories have staying power oh yeah and relevance i mean so much so relevant like it, like we'll see the even in the ones that we are going to talk about today like i'd never heard of any of them or read any of them but it's like there's lessons in most of them that i can like apply in some way or another yeah d- d- regardless of whether or not it was a real person or is actually a story that this maybe not real person told and what's amazing to me is that kind of like human nature 
has not changed a lot in like 3,000 3, years. years. Our values might have changed, but like people are still people and like we still have the same kind of like emotions and foibles yeah. that people 3,000 years ago had. Yeah. Like, oh, have you ever felt jealousy? Yeah. Definitely, I have. And turns out people thousands of years ago also would struggle with what to do with like jealousy and anger and uh, all those things. I think what's also interesting about Aesop's fables is usually when we're introduced to them, we're introduced to them as children. And the ones that have kind of been pushed on kids the most, like the tortoise and the hare, are Mm -hmm. ones that have this kind of easily digestible moral for children yeah and the ones that are for adults because most of these were for adults in political situations in like kind of like battlefield like tribal dispute not tribal but you know what i mean like a a big group like dispute situations between like big political figures and so when we're like oh aesop's fables for children it's like no like it's like saying that the art of war is by for Sun Tzu is for children <laughs> because they can get like one applicable thing about like how to behave on this like playground right and they're like oh the whole book like it's for children it must be for kids <laughs> it's like no absolutely not but let's take a look actually at some of these stories and there are you know dozens and dozens of these stories if anybody wants to you know read some of them and find the ones that are the most applicable in their life i picked out a couple that i thought that spoke to me and maybe will speak to other people so jeff you have the fox and the mask yes the fox and the mask so the fox and the mask there is a fox And as foxes are wont to do, he's looking for some trouble. So he comes into the house of an actor and he's like rummaging through all of his little, the actor's personal belongings. And he comes along a a mask, which is like a very good imitation of a human's face. And so the fox like puts his hands on, he's like looking at it. He's like, oh, what a beautiful face. But it has no value because is it entirely lacking of brains? And so the moral is... A fair face is of little use without sense. Z snaps. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how about that? <laughs> so I thought that was a super funny story. Just because just it is like, you know, snaps at the end of like, yeah. ooh, burn. <laughs> what I liked about this one was it is like really funny. And it's kind of like, in lots of the stories, the animals are kind of as smart as humans. Whereas this, I felt like the fox was kind of like in between. Like you could imagine like an animal coming in and seeing like a face and being like, oh, it's a human's face, but it's just useless because it can't do anything but sit there and look pretty. You know, it kind of like, you know, you can imagine like a dog being confused about like a mask and being like, what the heck is this? Yeah. Because animals lack representative like thought. Most of them, not all. I didn't mean to throw all animals like... (laughs) under the cognitive bus. <laughs> but it is, and again, you know, that moral is something that is com- totally applicable these days. It's like, you know, just because you have a beautiful face, if you don't have, like, sense or brains or anything else underneath it. Yeah. 
then it's kind of like, what value are you going to really present and offer to other people? Yeah. And it's interesting to me that so many, you know, that so long ago that was still like an issue. Yeah. That like that someone's like, okay, somebody might be really pretty to look at, but like if they're dumb, there is no point to that person. Which, I mean, I'm not going to say there's no value in that, like, in a human being. But it is, like, it's it's funny because we still, like, see that stereotype represented in, like, media and that lesson being pointed out. Because we have, you know, like, this stereotype of the jock and the cheerleader that, like, they're really, like, pretty to look at. They're, like, you know, they have bodies that are kind of the standard, the ideal. But in our society those are stock characters for people who are vapid, who completely lack common sense. And so we still see those type of morals being taught today of like, right. You don't want to be just good looking. Yeah. And even when they're like turning that on their head and like, Oh, this like jock or this cheerleader or whatever, they take the stock character. Like you can see what they have, beneath they're more than just a cheerleader and a pretty face and whatever it's like they're still reinforcing that idea because they're saying like they're not just a pretty face they're also this person that has these other attributes which are what make them who they are and what makes them have you know use in the society or whatever but it's like it's still enforcing the same thing by turning it on its head yeah exactly because they're like oh look how different it's saying oh then that's what the standard is and this is only something that's like an anomaly is an intelligent, pretty person. <laughs> and it's like, no, it's, that's not an anomaly because yeah. So the next, the story that I'm going to tell next, it's the lion and the boar. So there was a lion who was going to a watering hole and on his way to the watering hole, he saw a boar in front of him and the boar was on the way to the watering hole. So they both kind of were stopped and were like staring at each other. And they were like, you drink first. And the other one was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Because both of them knew that whoever dipped down first would probably get attacked. But this started a fight between them because they were like, no, you go first. No, you go first. So they started to fight each other. So as they were fighting each other, the boar dinging his tusks into the lion and the lion scratching him with his claws, a bunch of vultures started to gather around them. Uh-oh. And the vultures were cheering them on. <laughs> <laughs> fight, 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 <laughs> exactly. fight. So half of half of the vultures were cheering for the lion, half of the vultures were cheering for the boar, and both of them were egging them on, being like, no, keep going, like, do it, like, get him. <laughs> and the boar and the lion stopped fighting because they realized that the reason that these people were cheering them on, that these animals were cheering them on, wasn't because they believed in them or they wished for their success, but because they were cheering for their destruction. Because it would be a, become a meal for them afterwards. Exactly. Man, that's a really good one. Yeah. So the moral of the story is that people who are cheering on your destruction are worse than people who are actively aiming for your destruction. And I was like, that's so good because, you know, you'll see somebody who's actively fighting against you and you'll think, oh, that person is my enemy. 
But then you also have people who are sitting in your life, like who are just kind of like sitting and waiting, like, oh, I really hope their life takes like a nosedive. Like, I really hope that like things turn out badly for them because I don't like them. And it's like those people are just as bad or worse than people who are just honest to your face hating you. Right. Yeah, that's this is a really this is a one of the perfect ones like I've never heard before, but it's one of the ones that shows exactly what you're talking about. Like this is not a, necessarily a story for kids. Like this has like a like great value to like politicians or yes. or whoever. Yeah, because like in politics you'll see where yeah, we have countries that are outright not on our side. But then you also have countries who in the background are making deals with other countries or are encouraging us to make bad choices not in our favor. Yeah. And we need to kind of be aware of that and realize like, wait, these people aren't our friends either. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing that's so fascinating about it too is like in that in that story, both the vultures who are cheering for you and the vultures that are cheering for the other person, like they both are against you, basically. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the vultures best case scenario was that you both die. So they eat way more. Yeah. They wanted them to keep fighting. Well, it reminded me of, um, is it Bilbo Baggins who was with those trolls? Yeah. And he kept pretend, you know, like he was just trying to get them to keep fighting, to keep being di- distracted. So when the sun, sun came, came up, up, yeah, they would turn to stone. Exactly. They would turn to stone. And it's like, yeah, there are people like that who it's like, they're a distraction. Like they are, they're just trying to keep you fighting and keep you busy. Yeah. Okay. I've got the perfect example in modern day. Oh, so you, awesome. they talk about with like the, with Russia and they're starting these, like they have like starting Facebook groups. There've been like cases where this has been confirmed that like some, Ru- like a Russian group started an event that was like protesting something and then they also started an event that was counter protesting that thing at the same place at the same time in the United States to get yeah. us fighting with each other. And they don't care who wins. They're cheering for us to just keep fighting so that we destroy ourselves. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's brilliant. Aesop because- or whoever actually <laughs> came up with that. You were a genius. Yeah, because it's like the vultures aren't strong enough on their own. To take down either one of them. Or one or the other. They don't care either way, just as long as they get that meat. Yeah. Ooh, I love that one. Yeah, that's good. Nothing is better after a long day cruising down Route 66 than finding a great place to get delicious food. Before you stop in at the famous Jackrabbit Trading Post, head over to Mr. G's Pizza in idyllic Joseph City, Arizona. Enjoy pizzas made to order, toasted subs, or fresh salads. And when you're done, grab some ice cream to enjoy while you get back on that beautiful Route 66. Remember to ask for Andy and let him know that he needs to pay those traffic fines whether or not the aliens do come back for him. He won't need that money in space. Mr. G's Pizza has been family owned for 25 years. And when you're there, you're family too. But not Andy. He just works there. All right, we ready for the next one? Yes, this one is this, one of my favorites. Yes, this is my absolute favorite. So this is the bear and the gardener. So there once was a gardener who lived all alone, and he got like kind of lonely, as you do when you live alone. So he went out and he was trying to find someone that would be like a good companion to be with. And so one day he went 
you know, he hadn't gone very far and he came across a bear who he invited to live with him because the bear, he was like kind of a silly, friendly bear who was also, you know, not happy about living alone. So they both went home happily together and the gardener was like providing all the food. He was like doing everything to take care of this bear and the bear's only job was that while the gardener slept, he was supposed to keep the flies off the gardener's face. So, you know, the gardener's there taking a nap and there's a fly coming down that keeps trying to land on the gardener's head. So the bear's, you know, swatting it away and trying to shoo it away. But the the fly keeps going on and the bear just is getting more and more upset that this stupid fly won't stop landing on the gardener's head. So one time when it lands on his head, the bear, when it lands on the gardener's head, the bear picks up a huge rock and smashes it down onto the gardener's <laughs> face, killing both the fly and the gardener. <laughs> <laughs> and the moral of the story is, better to have no friend at all than a foolish one. The moral of that story is that Aesop fables aren't for children. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, man. But I love that, that, like, it's better to have no friends than, like, an idiot for a friend. Yeah. Oh. And it's just, like, that feels like, a, you know, it's like a Three Stooges sketch where it's, like, <laughs> you know, I've se- I've literally have seen that where there's, like, oh, a fly keeps flying on. And it's, like, oh, I'll swat it off. And then, you you know, you hit, end up hitting yourself in the head with a hammer or something to, yeah, to try to, to kill the fly. Yeah, to get it off. And it, it reminds me of, like, I don't know if you ever had friends in like high school I'm like bringing it down like to like a like a smaller level if you ever had friends like in high school who you were like oh I really like that boy like I'm really interested in him and they're like oh I can go find out like if he likes you too and you're like oh but I need you to like like don't make it sound like I'm really into him or whatever <laughs> like because I you know and so your friends like oh no like I'll be really cool about it and then they like go over and they're just like she has like a huge crush on you (laughs) and they're like ew gross and everyone's like oh you have a huge crush on him and then everyone's making fun of you and you're like it's better to have no friends than this idiot (laughs) i had a maybe it's not applicable but what came to mind was like a story kind of from a similar time like late middle school we would like me and my friends would like we knew these we were having like a sleepover and there's this like group of girls that we knew that were having a sleepover the same night. So like we went over and we like would teepee the house that they were sleeping in. And we, when we did this, we bought like, we went to the store, we bought like a 64 pack or whatever, like a huge pack of toilet paper just for that purpose. And we like, there was like 10 of us. So we just like teepeed ever. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen and used like every single one of those things. And like, we we're so sneaky the whole time. But then as we're like finishing up and getting ready to like get back in a car, like our cars and drive off, one of these idiot kids threw a rock like at the no. basement window where he had seen a light was on so that they came out and like caught us in the act of doing it. And then they got revenge on us later that night. Luckily they yeah. didn't like go to Walmart and buy 64 things, but it was just kind of like, dude, what the heck? Like, why are you being a, a, a dummy and ruining everything? Yeah, no, I'm like, that's totally applicable. Cause it is like, Hey buddy, like what we were doing was this like annoying prank. And then what you did was like van, <laughs> like, I mean, I think TPing is considered technically van- like vandalism, yeah. but it's like, if you, if you break someone's window, like yeah. You have to pay for a broken window. Right. Also, in his defense, he wasn't trying to break the window. It was like a little pebble. He was just trying to make noise so that they would come well, and catch us. The bear wasn't was, trying to kill the that's guard. True. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. So it is. It is exactly <laughs> applicable. 
where it's like, oh man, like also, yeah, it's like just the heavy handedness of it, like just literally and figuratively of <laughs> like, okay, sometimes like if, if your solution to the problem is worse than the problem, like <laughs> you maybe need to, yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Like don't do that thing. There's a lot to get from it. I I thought that was a good one because not only is it just like hilarious to imagine, but it's also like, yeah, idiot 100%. friends. Yeah, like idiot friends are worse than no friends at all. <laughs> okay, so the next one that I'm going to tell, it's the trees and the axe. And this one, yeah, I'm like, it's more serious than... To me, the moral is like more serious than obviously the bear and the gardener because that's that one's just... Hilarious. So, in the trees and the axe, there is this man that comes into the forest and he goes to the trees and asks them if they'll provide a handle for his axe. And so the trees consented to this request and they gave him a young ash tree. So, just like they're like, oh, that one over there, like, would make a great <laughs> handle, which I'm like. <laughs> wow guys they're like that would make a great handle for your axe over there and he was like oh thank you so much and so he you know cut it down made this new handle for his axe and he was like wow this looks really great and they're like yeah that does look really great the corpse of our friend looks great on the end <laughs> it, of your axe it looks great on the end of your axe and then he starts chopping down the oldest and the biggest trees that are there and that's oh. when they started to lament that like the first step to our destruction was that we allowed the destruction of someone else, somebody weaker than us. Man. And so the moral is when you give up the rights of other people, you are endangering your own rights down the road. Yeah. That's a really good one too. Just what makes that one a lot heavier of a story to me is that the first thing that I thought of when I read that was the Holocaust yeah. And how applicable that story was then. Cause you like, you hear like a famous quote where people are like, you know, when, when they came for the Jews, I let them take them when they came for, you know, all these other minority groups, I let them take it. And then when they came for me, there was no one left to defend me. So that story made me think of that about how throughout human history, We've seen that happen over and over again oh, yeah. where people are like, oh, yeah, I'm totally fine with you, like, killing those people, like, desecrating their land, doing all this. It's fine. It doesn't concern me. So I'm not going to bother myself with that. But then when it turns around and they use that to come after, like, you... Like, that's when you realize, like, oh, I should have done something earlier. I should have done something sooner. Yeah. And so it's, like, one of those things where it's sad to see that that's still human nature to not want to stick up for someone weaker than you. You think, oh, they're like an easy it's target. it's not your problem or whatever. Yeah, it's not my problem. Like, they're young, they're an easy target. And then not realizing that you're becoming the author of your own destruction. Yeah. So it's amazing to me how so many of these stories, when you're going through and like reading Aesop's fables, 
so many of these stories, their moral still works today. It's still something that strongly resonates with people. And I even was finding myself all like the last like week and a half bringing up Aesop's fables to people (laughs) and they'd be like (laughs) telling me about something that was going on in their life. I'm like, oh, this is just like the snakes and the porcupine. (laughs) It's like, huh, how how old are you? (laughs) About two and a half thousand years old. Yeah, like mm, still good stories. So, but what's also great reading Aesop's fables is going through and realizing which ones I'm like, I do not agree with that. Or thinking like, that story speaks to me, but absolutely not for the reason that was like stated at the end. Uh-huh. And so I picked out some of those to retell also, and for us to maybe like think of a better moral from them or reword the moral like of the story so that it actually does speak to people and resonate with them. Okay, so the first one will be the Gamecocks and the Partridge. So this is about a man. He has two Gamecocks, which are basically like, for what do they call them? Like birds that fight each other? Oh, they call it cockfighting, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're you're like, oh, wait, this, it seems like there's a really new word for this. Like, no. <laughs> nope, it's just <laughs> cockfighting. All right, so he's got these, you know, Gamecocks. And he came across a tame partridge that was for sale too. And so he purchased it and bought it home so he could like rear it with, you know, he's a bird guy. He could raise it with his gamecocks. And when it's, when that partridge got put into, you know, the poultry yard, the gamecocks immediately come over and start like pecking the crap out of it. And the partridge was like, whoa, 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 this is not great. He thought that, oh man, you know what? I'm being like picked on because like I'm the new guy, I'm the stranger and they just don't like me. So it wasn't that after he saw you know, the two Gamecocks fighting each other and they were like, you know, beating the crap out of each other and and they weren't separated until one of them had like pretty much like annihilated the other. And then the Partridge thinks to himself, he's like, hmm, he's like, you know what? I don't I don't feel so bad about the fact that these Gamecocks were beating up on me because look, I mean, they even beat up on each other. So the moral is strangers should avoid those who quarrel among themselves. And I'm like, uh, wait, what? <laughs> So what I think is like a better wording for the moral is that if you can see other people having drama with each other, don't think that you're not going to have drama with them. Yeah, I agree. But it's like, I feel like the story is just like the end of the story is just so puzzling because again, I'm I'm thinking maybe this is a translation because it says that he's like, like I shall no longer distress myself at being struck by these Gamecocks. It's like, you should still stress yourself about being attacked. Yeah. Like, just yeah. because they beat up, on each, beat up on each other doesn't mean, like... He's like, I won't take it personally anymore when they come and attack me. And it's like, well, yeah, don't take it personally, but also maybe get out of the way. Yeah, like, get out of that situation. <laughs> I guess in the story, too, like, yeah, the, the Partridge had no recourse. You know, he had nothing else he could do. He was kind of, like, stuck there, I guess. Yeah. So it's just, like, a very strange one. This is one that I would, like rewrite that whole ending part about like yeah well especially because i i feel like in more recent years people have normalized that like if you are surrounded by people who are hurting you who are harming you 
you have every right to get away from them. Yeah. Like they're kind of, cause I know like when I was growing up, the refrain was more of like, get over it, suck it up, tough it out until, you know, they're like away from you or like these people are gone out of your life or whatever, but you mm-hmm. just have to tough it out. But now the, there is more of this value, like people are placing value in honoring your own safety. Yeah. And so I feel like, yeah, we would want to rewrite kind of the ending of that to reflect that value. Right. Of saying like, like, oh, I can see that those birds are always horrible. And so I should probably get away from them because they're not going to change because he was thinking, oh, because I was a stranger, they don't like me. So you know, he might have been tempted to think maybe if they get to know me a little better, they won't want to beat me up. And it's like, no, they beat up yeah. everybody. Like, it's not, don't point. take it. So it is like, don't take it personally that they're treating you badly. They treat everybody badly. But also, well, so I guess that, you know, I'm, I'm changing my mind a little bit about it because the, the moral as it's written in this collection is like strangers should avoid those who quarrel among themselves. So it, it, that is like completely that, accurate to that. Yeah. I think it's that's like, good advice. Yeah. Too. It's like, like ignore those people stay stay away from those people that are like you said causing drama between each other because the chance that some of that's going to come back on you at some point is pretty likely yeah they're like they're not going to just suddenly start being nice to you when they're mean to everybody yeah like, but i still but i feel like a disconnect between the story and that moral yeah as no well, definitely which, which again yeah like it's it goes back to the like it's been translated through so many different languages because like people will tell you that the 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 best translations the closest translations are translations that it's just one language between them yeah like any time you translate something there's something that's lost oh yeah between between that for sure and, and so, so the it more is, the more gaps you like insert in there, the the easier it is to get really far away from the meaning. Yeah, and so it is like you look, you read the story, then you look at the ending, and you're like, wait, <laughs> like I don't. Especially see. if it, yeah, especially if it could be turned on like such in like one word, because I think it's like the shall no longer distress myself at being struck by these gamecocks. Like that's the little phrase that kind of makes me feel like there's something weird about this. Yeah. But maybe that's like, you know, in German, that expression means something else, which they were using because in the Greek it said, or Latin, it said this, you know, it's like, it's really hard. It, when it turns on one little place, then it's a lot easier to be forgiving than if just like the whole thing is like a, a complete mess. mess. Yeah. And to be like, okay, well, obviously the values were different. Like this is applicable, but I'm just have a little trouble with how it was told, which I don't blame Aesop for because he may not even exist. <laughs> You're like, I won't blame him because he might not have actually written this story. So the next one that I'm going to tell, it's the wolf and the lion. So there was once this wolf that snuck into a fold of sheep and it grabbed the weakest one and dragged it away and was trying to get it back to his lair. And on his way to his lair, he was met by a lion and the lion was like, oh, great, you have dinner. <laughs> Give that to me. <laughs> My Uber Eats is here. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, oh, I see you've got me some dinner. Like, how about you drop it right there? And the the wolf was like, 
no, this is mine. I got this. And what I love is like the lion was kind of like sassy about it. And he was like, oh, was it a gift from a friend? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, oh, that's so sassy. He's like, oh, like, did you, where did you purchase that from? Maybe I can get one there. And so what they say is like, the moral of the story is one thief is no better than the other. But what's funny is the first thing that came to my mind was uh, the princess bride. He was like speaking to the dread pirate Roberts. Yes. So when he was talking to the dread pirate Roberts, he was like, you're trying to take what I have rightfully stolen. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what I thought of when I read this, where it was like, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, no thief is better like than the other. Like that phrase is somewhat meaningless to me. But the thing that I thought of was this like idea that like, <laughs> can you really steal something that somebody else stole, stole. first? Yeah. Or... Or even like the phrase, like, there's no honor among thieves. Right. So, yeah, there's this, just the the idea that, like, one thief can't expect to not have that same crime committed against him. Right. It's like you can't expect that person to respect your property any when less you than no- you respected, you know, someone else's or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that story threw me off, though, because the whole time it's like, you know, a wolf is taking a sheep and it's like, you know, wolves eat sheep. Like, that's what they do. Circle of life, all that. Like, it seemed really natural. Like, it didn't think about the fact like, oh, he stole it, you know? Yeah. But again. Animals in real life, yeah, they don't really, they're not thinking through the moral implications right. of what they're doing. Which is a common, I don't know why I'm, like, I'm fine with a bear and a gardener becoming friends, but, you know. But a wolf stealing a sheep from, like, a fold. You know what's funny? There's actually an Aesop fable where a wolf, like, walks past the tent of shepherds and they're sitting down eating some mutton. And he says to them, like, I can't believe you're sitting down doing what you would kill me for doing. And I was like, oh, sassy. (laughs) (laughs) So it is funny to think about that it's like, wait, so how would a wolf process the, like, ethical dilemma of stealing versus killing something that is... (laughs) Yeah, it's like, whoa, that that gets, like, really complicated and layered and confusing. Yeah, because it is interesting that human beings were like oh foxes and wolves they're so sneaky sneaking in and and murdering our sheep and like stealing our sheep but meanwhile we don't see anything like like morally wrong with us like taking care of a bunch of sheep from the time they're babies and keeping them well tended and then being like time to eat you <laughs> we're not like oh that's kind of deceptive how we care for them and tend them and then are like the only reason we're taking care of you is because we want to use you we want your delicious delicious flesh yeah but we we see like ethical dilemmas with these other animals that are (laughs) (laughs) stealing from us or like treating us like poorly so the next one is the oak and the reeds All right, so in this one, there is a huge oak tree, and it is 
you know, the wind is like blowing really hard on it and the wind blows it over. It's completely uprooted and it falls across a stream and it lands next to these reeds, which are in the, in the stream. And it's like, you know, like, ouch, that hurt. But kind of like, you know, what's up with you guys? How come this wind blew me over when I'm this huge, strong oak and you're like these tiny little light things? How come you weren't completely crushed and destroyed by these strong winds? And so the reeds are like, well, when you fight and contend with the wind you get blown over and destroyed. Whereas, you know, we bend before the smallest little, you know, gust of air and therefore we remain unbroken. And then the moral is stoop to conquer, which that's the (laughs) part that it loses me at. Cause the story makes sense. I think, you know, where it's talking about it's being flexible, you know, like if you're just fighting against everything. Okay. But if you're, if you can be flexible, kind of, Go with the flow flow. a little bit, then you can, you can get off better than if like every little thing that comes your way, you're just like stressing out about and trying to fight and change and do whatever. But it's like stoop to conquer. Feels like like, they just like took something from another story and just like plastered it on there. Just stuck it on the end. Yeah. Because it's like, wait, what are the reeds conquering? Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. They weren't conquering. Yeah. They didn't conquer the wind. They just outlasted it. Yeah. Like, or they just were able to get through it. Exactly. So it's more like to get through tough times, be flexible. Better. That's a better moral. Yeah. Maybe it's not as short and quippy as stoop to conquer, <laughs> but at least it like makes sense. As, like, With the story that was just told. Exactly. <laughs> but again, it's one of those, it's one of those stories where you can, as you're reading it, you're like, this resonates. I understand where this is going. But then, yeah, it gets to the end and you're like, this has to be what? lost in translation or something. Yeah. I do not and again, it. you know, we're talking about three words, really two words, like stoop and conquer. I I totally think this one is like tr- lost in translation situation yeah. because yeah. you can, there's you can easily see how like stoop is a weird word in yeah. English anyway. Like, why would yeah. they choose that word? conquer again it's like you know like to be victorious doesn't necessarily mean to conquer but they are seemingly really close words yeah you know like if you're flexible you can be victorious yeah or even like bend to withstand yeah that's yeah like three words yeah that are really that are close that are close enough to the words that were written that you could totally see how whatever words in whatever languages preceded it might have been close and just like it got a degree further from the intended meaning with every translation. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Even the ones that we had issues with were totally relatable. Yeah. Like, like I didn't think I was expecting you to present somewhere. It's just like the, the values of the, of the story were so completely out of line that were just like, this doesn't even make any sense, especially considering they're 3000 years old. It was like there, there would have to be some that are like that. And maybe there are, but I was oh, just yeah. so surprised by the fact that these ones all made made there was something that we could latch onto that was still relatable to our modern day, which is cool. And there's something I'm really glad we heard. You know, like there were the, some really really good ones, yeah. like the one with the bear, the boar, and the the lion and the vultures. And yeah, and what I think is interesting about like fables, especially like you know, sto- using animals and kind of like a, like personified characteristics that we see like in animals. Um, using them to teach something or to like illustrate a point is still something that people do today, like creating new ones. 
I watched an episode of Judge Judy. Yes. <laughs> I was like, good, we're getting to Judge Judy. So one of my, like, the most memorable things she has said in my mind, like, that I, like, heard her say was this one time there was, like, a lady who, it, she was having all these problems with, like, ex-husbands and stuff. And Judge Judy said, she's like, I've noticed that women have this deep desire to nest and they want to like build this nest, start a family. They want to do this, but they get desperate and they will just pick a broken bird and they will nest with a broken bird. Ma'am, you need to find a, like a good bird. And I thought it was like her saying that her comparing it to birds is what made it like stick in my mind like yeah. so well because like it evoked just like an image that for whatever reason like I could really like resonate with that like people do want to like settle down but if you get desperate and you pick like a broken bird that story also like illustrates this point that Judge Judy wasn't saying like oh I've noticed that birds will often pick like uh really like 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 the the like most like broken like bent like bird to be with like she wasn't commenting on animal nature she wasn't commenting on like her observations of animals she was commenting on her observations of Of human nature yeah but just using animals Yeah, and this goes back to what you were saying at the beginning with Aesop and the political advising and stuff like that. I think there's two things that it does. One, it makes it somewhat indirect because if you're criticizing – she's criticizing that lady and her choice in a man basically. But if you start criticizing somebody, they're going to put walls down and block it out because it doesn't feel good to be criticized even when they're trying to help you and point out the things that you can – fix so it puts that level of abstraction so like let's think about this story it's not about you but it is about you so it gives you that kind of like safe distance to be able to look at your own situation from plus it gives you know by making it animals you can kind of latch on to you can simplify it like humans are very very complex with emotions and things but we think of animals like animals have some pretty they're complex too but you know you can assign much more simplified motives and much more simplified characteristics to different animals that you can then apply to the complicated, you know, situations um, in human life. Yeah. It, It goes back to like the first story that you told of the fox and the mask. The reason why they picked a fox is because a fox is, as a flat character... It was a stereotype that foxes were sly, so sneaky. They can sneak into, like, a house to steal, but they're also witty. They're also just very clever. And so they wouldn't have stuck in a different animal, even though a different animal, in theory, could break into their house to look for food. But the stock character of the lion does not work because the stock character of the lion is like proud and brave. So when they're trying to show the disadvantages of being proud or overly brave, they'll use a lion. Then they'll use a lion. Or like 
the wolf. They didn't have a wolf sneak into the house, even though wolves are known to be kind of like these like sneaky murderers. Wolves are more considered evil and outright like violent. Right. And in like the stories there, it very much is like a wolf is going to outright murder you. Like (laughs) that's their (laughs) stock character. And so like, it wouldn't fit for a wolf to be sneaking into a person's house and looking at a mask and commenting in a witty way about how, empty and vapid like the like faces. Yeah, i feel like the the fox is like the oscar wilde of the you know aesop <laughs> animal kingdom i love that so yeah these these stock characters were just shorthand for these like stories and we still understand them as those stock characters today those stock characters show up in other tales like down the road because disney's robin hood you look at that and it's like you've got the 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 king richard well the lion the lion hearted but you know he's a lion and 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 (laughs) yeah robin is a fox who's sneaky and stealing and being witty and clever like yeah you're spot on we still use them today the snake because the the guy in disney's like Robin Hood, like yeah. who's taking all the money? Who's the the false king? He's a snake. Yeah, because we, we like these, like the imagery of these animals as stock characters. It's old. So even when you're looking at like the Grimm's fairy tales and you're seeing wolves coming up and stuff, these stock characters have had staying power because you can just say. The fox snuck into a house and immediately everybody's mind is like, like yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> totally. I mean, and it's cross-cultural in lots of ways, too. Like you think of yeah. like Japanese mythology, the kitsune, which is like a fox. It's very mischievous and sneaky and sly. Yes. And you'll even you'll even see, um, yeah, characters throughout like African stories and Nancy stories that have like similar traits. We'll talk. We'll talk about this probably a lot in the podcast but anytime you have something going back and back and back further in time you'll notice it in more places in the present day because if it's old that it started in a central location then it will spread outward it's when you start seeing things that are in isolated areas and not popping up in stories in other places that's when you know that it's like a newer construct and so it is interesting that these animals as stock characters have gone back so far through human history that we can still look at those stock characters and understand them today and again absolutely fascinating that aesop fables still speak to people today that these lessons are fully applicable I liked these way more than I thought that I would. And I'm like, I want to go and read more. Like I have this little like teeny tiny Aesop's Fables book. It's like literally fits in the palm of my hand. And it doesn't have all of it. It has like, you know, they're shorts. So it has like 50 or so. It's like, I'm going to go and read that because there's some really cool ones. And I wonder what other things might be out there. Yeah. And other lessons that like apply at different points, like in your life. 
stories that will just like pop into your mind at like weird times because it seriously that's what was happening to me all this week <laughs> and it's like so. a good thing you know like i'm a i have kids and it might be a good thing to or, or you know friends that i can go all judge judy on and be like hey this reminds me of the story of the oak and the reeds or whatever stoop to conquer stoop 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 you've been listening to the fairy tellers podcast if you enjoyed what you listened to, please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more fairy tale content, head over to thefairytellers.wordpress.com for lighthearted retellings, or follow us on Instagram for daily fairy tale memes at thefairy underscore tellers, or even join the conversation on our Facebook page. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. This episode contains additional music from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music. Check him out at Incompetech.com. May you have warm words on a cold evening, a full moon on a dark night, and a smooth road all the way to your door. An Irish blessing. Stoop kid's gonna leave a stoop. <laughs> Nice. N not applicable to this. <laughs>